Good morning, High Point. The, um, the scripture for today is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. If you would like to follow along, you can, um, it can be found on page 16 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. The Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and, I will, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord um, who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There, he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continue toward Negev. Thanks, Agus. I love these carpets. Hey, everyone. A couple of very quick things. Um, Tom Lynn is with us today. He's going to be our guest speaker. I'm going to introduce him in just a second. Um, High Point Church considers itself in our identity a missions church. We commit more than $280,000 every year to international gospel and university missions. It is a huge part of our budget. It's the reason we can't have nice things, right? And it's completely worth it. It's like having children, all right? It's just part of life and caring about more than yourself. And so it is part of the DNA of this church. It's part of who we are, and it's something that all of us need to understand something about no matter how we're connected to it. And so about four Sundays a year, we specifically invite somebody who's connected to international or university missions to talk to us as a church so that we can kind of get refreshed on what God's vision is for the whole world. Does that make sense? And um, also, very quickly, um, over the last couple of weeks, a significantly more people have been here at services, and so can you just be extra nice and kind and accommodating and sliding in rows and that kind of stuff? That would be fantastic. Great. So um, <clears throat> Tom Lynn is our speaker today. Tom is the CEO and president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. If you're a student who's in InterVarsity or is an alumni of InterVarsity, could you just raise your hand? And if you're a staff member, could you stand up? Could you raise them higher than that, please? I know Ivy people are like low-key, but okay, great. Um, thank you, guys. And of course, Bob Grumman is like somewhere in the world doing something, right? Um, uh, Tom grew up in a, a Christian home. His faith really turned on in college um, through, in, uh, through uh, college missions when he was studying at Harvard. That's a college out east. Um, University has more than 1,700 staff and more than 1,000 
campus ministries. And um, it's at one of the major um, university missions in America and around the world. You should also know, if you, if you don't, that InterVarsity has, even since 2016, when Tom became its president and CEO, taken a few very courageous stances doctrinally out in the public world that they've taken a lot of heat for. Um, including the area of sexuality. For our own sexuality conferences, our statement of a Christian view on sexuality, we use their documents because they're not only doctrinally correct, but they're very sensitive and clear and kind. And InterVarsity has bent over backwards to be that kind of ministry. They also are fighting a lot of the biggest fights that are happening right now about um, the free exercise of faith, free access, and even free exchange of ideas on college campuses that have tried to push InterVarsity off, and they have tried to kindly but firmly argue that faith and the free exchange of ideas and the free exercise of religion on campuses is fundamental to a free and pluralistic society and is right. And I really admire InterVarsity for that work, and I know it's tiring and difficult, and one mistake creates a firestorm, and I'm glad you're doing it, not me, Tom. So uh, I'm going to pray for Tom. We're going to watch a short video, and he's going to preach to us. God, thank you that Tom could be here. Thank you for the work InterVarsity is doing all around the world in terms of access and in leading university missions to Christ, how strongly they emphasize multi-ethic ministry and ministries for all peoples, and how they lead the way in so many things. I pray that you'd open our hearts to hear what we should hear from Tom today. I pray that you'd, you'd strengthen him and help use his mouth and his experience to bless us profoundly. We thank you for their work, and we pray that you'd bless InterVarsity in its ministries. In Jesus' name, amen. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The life of those who follow Jesus has never been confined. Jesus' followers have always carried a global vision of a global savior. The kingdom of God is not limited by political boundaries. The love of God has often challenged and offended people by its expansiveness, its radical inclusivity, and its embrace of the marginalized and the powerful, the oppressed and the oppressor. The kingdom of God is bigger than our nations and the love of God is broader than our limited circle of friends. These convictions have been embedded into the DNA of InterVarsity USA from the beginning. It was love of a global God and love of neighbor that motivated some in Canada to travel south to the United States to plant student ministry. Students in other countries who understood God's love for the nations and the margins began to fellowship. They created the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, a movement of students from all nations to all nations. These movements carry a commitment for student work globally, engaging their faith on campus, on society's margins, and among the least and the lost. This is our foundation. And InterVarsity USA stands squarely in this tradition today, hosting one of the largest student mobilization events in the world, sending staff to serve alongside our IFES sister movements through InterVarsity Link, and U.S. campuses partnering with IFES through twinning, equipping students who are studying abroad to become agents of change, sending students on justice programs to love mercy, do justice and walk humbly with God, and giving students international experiences in the most beautiful and broken places on 
our planet to become the people God has made them to be. Through InterVarsity's global engagement and justice programs, we transform students and faculty who renew their campuses and change the world. Well, it's a joy to be here at High Point Church. I love your DNA that Nick just talked about. Uh, I thought I'd start by introducing myself a little bit more. Uh, the first thing you should know about me is that I love students. I love the impact that they can have on the world, as we saw in the video. Uh, right now, uh, I've been working with InterVarsity for about 25 years now. I currently serve as the president, as Nick mentioned. Uh, we have about uh, over 1,000 chapters on college campuses across the country. And I first want to say thank you to High Point Church. Thank you for your support of InterVarsity missionaries that are serving here in the U.S., in Madison, and around the world. So thank you. Uh, another thing you should know about me is my family. Uh, I've been married to Nancy, my wife, for 20 years now, and we have two uh, teenage girls, uh, one 15, Abby, and another one turning 13 in just a few weeks, uh, Olivia. You see a picture of them there. Uh, if you, maybe you've seen them around Madison, I don't know. Uh, they, uh, that's a shot we took during their first day of school. And they're not smiling like that as much now, uh, as we're now more into the fall, but uh, we love them. They're a joy to have in our house. Uh, the other thing you should know about me is that growing up, I, I never dreamed of being a missionary. I was never taught to be a missionary. I never thought I looked like a missionary. You know, I was taught growing up that missionaries were strange people with nothing better to do with their lives. I was taught that missionaries were like for the super spiritual Christians, you know, like the Marvel superhero Christians, right? Uh, I was taught uh, instead to pursue the American dream. You know, white picket fence home, 2.5 cars and 2.5 kids. Uh, I was taught uh, growing up from my parents that, you know, they, they moved from poverty in Asia, immigrating to the U.S., so I wouldn't have to live in poverty in Asia. But as a college senior, God gave me a vision for the world, and it changed my life, a vision worth giving my life for. And so I said, yes, Lord, whatever I can do in your global mission, I'll do it. Uh, several years later, uh, God eventually called my wife Nancy and I to plant or to start a Christian student movement in the country of Mongolia. And ironically, we found ourselves living in poverty and in Asia. <laughs> uh, here's a picture of us there. Uh, so my wife Nancy, this is many years ago, my daughter Abby, who was a baby and we raised there. And that's not our horse, but looks great in the picture there. Uh, uh, Mongolia it was a Buddhist country where prior to 1990, there were no known Christians in the country. It's a country with barely any Christian history. The first Bible was translated in the year 2000. It's a nomadic country with about 3 million people and 33 million herded animals. And besides all that, it's a cold country. Negative 40 degree temperatures in their winters. The winters are seven months long. And we were living in California at the time. So we thought, God, can we actually survive here? How did we end up here? Well, as we nomadically move through life, have you ever knew, any of you ever asked that question, how did we end up here? And where are we going? 
This morning, we're going to look at a character in the Bible who I think probably asked this question, and he sees God's vision for the world. Let's look at our text, Genesis chapter 12. We're going to start with the first five, five verses here. This text is commonly known as the first great commission in the Bible. Let me read it here. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So in this story, God calls Abraham, uh, essentially saying, I have a mission for you. Uh, I'm going to create a new nation, the people of Israel, and you're going to be like the founder and CEO. I want you to leave everything, your home, your culture, your city, everything you know. And then go somewhere unknown, somewhere I'll eventually reveal to you. And God makes an interesting promise here. If we look in verse 2, he says, I will bless you. Actually, if you notice in this short passage, just these short five verses, the word bless and blessing is repeated here five times. It's a threefold blessing. First, it's a material blessing of real estate. Verse 1, God will give him the land that he has prepared. It's also a family blessing. God will give him countless descendants. Later in Genesis, God promises Jacob as many descendants as the sand in the sea. And then third, it's also a spiritual blessing that God will forever be with Abraham's descendants. God eventually gives them circumcision as the outward and visible sign of this promise. But the question I think for us this morning is, why does God bless Abraham? Why? What are God's purposes? Let's go back to verse 2 here. What does God say? Does he say, I will bless you and you'll live a happy life? Or, or I'll bless you and you'll have all the friends, fame, and followers you've ever wanted? I will bless you and you'll have your white picket fence home, 2.5 cars, and 2.5 kids? No, right? God says in verse 2, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And then verse 3, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God doesn't want to just bless Israel for Israel's sake. He wants to bless people who will bless all peoples on earth. God's call for Abraham is the same call that God has had for his people throughout the Bible. If you look at throughout the Bible, the same call is Genesis 1, when he blessed a man and woman and called them to fill the earth and subdue it. It's the same call throughout the book of Psalms, like 86.9, where it says, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name. Go and bless. The same call throughout the New Testament, like Matthew chapter 28, Jesus calling the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Or Acts chapter 1.8, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go and bless. Same call in Revelations when we see the fulfillment of God's promise of blessing when all the nations stand before the throne and worship to God. 
you and I have the purpose of blessing the nations. And thousands and thousands of years later, after Abraham, today, God's plan is still the same, to use his people, you and me, High Point Church, to bless all peoples on earth, from Syria to the South Sudan, from Mongolia to Madison. Do we believe this? Now, I want to try something here this morning, see if this works. If you can turn to your neighbors, okay, turn to your neighbors and just say this, okay, turn to your neighbor and say, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, and then look at them in the eye, okay? <laughs> all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Good job, good job. I know some of you are like, really God, this person? You know, like. <laughs> Blessing the nations is an all play mission. It's for all his people, for all our days. Not just for certain people on certain special days. It's not an optional activity. I say to students all the time, this is not like extra credit, you know. <laughs> Missions is not like extra credit. We live in a world today with unprecedented opportunities for blessing the nations. It's really exciting. Unprecedented communications and technology, iPhone, social media allow us now to instantly connect from one side of the world to the other side of the world. The internet and satellite TV have opened the door to evangelism, sharing the gospel through a screen and monitor. A few years ago, I was, I was in Peru, and there are now Amazonian Bible translators in the Amazon Skyping American consultants in their U.S. homes. There's unprecedented urbanization and unprecedented immigration that has relocated unreached people groups to urban centers around the world, including in the U.S., where many now can be reached with the gospel. But sadly, we still live in a world with unprecedented need for blessing the nations. We're seeing an unprecedented refugee crisis in the world. We're seeing four billion of the world's seven billion people, over 2,000 people groups in the world, still unreached with the gospel, who have never heard about this spiritual blessing before. We're seeing previously church nations in Europe who are now unchurched, atheist, and Muslim. Many would say Islam is becoming the number one religion in Paris and London. Many would say North America is not doing much better. I'm a big fan of Bible translation. Uh, I served on the board of one of the largest uh, Bible translation agencies called Wycliffe. And, and what shocked me is not that 2,000 languages in the world don't even have one verse of the Bible, but that the biggest challenge for Wycliffe, this agency, is recruitment, is recruitment. Trying to get God's covenant people to get involved with blessing the nation. It's exactly as the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10. How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? One of uh, the favorite pastors that I met in Mongolia, his name is Inkbadar. He's, he's a pastor in the capital city of Ulaanbaatar. And as was custom for a lot of pastors there, uh, during the, the weekdays, he would kind of go to the rural countryside to share the gospel. He'd go out and 
whether it's on horse or by a car, he'd go out to the countryside. And, uh, and one day, he stopped by a local cafe to have some lunch. And the cafes there would look like these little huts right there. You kind of go inside one, have some lunch. And uh, one day, he asked the owner, as was typical in his custom, he would ask the owner of that cafe, can I share a story with you? And he would share the story of Jesus. And as Inkbara was sharing, the woman started to cry. Tears started going down her face. She couldn't stop crying. Inkbara asked her, like, what was wrong? And then she answered with this story. A couple days before Inkbara came to the cafe, she had received a gospel tract, kind of like a pamphlet from one of her customers. She read through that pamphlet and wanted to receive Jesus in her heart, but she, she didn't know how. And so she thought if she went up to the mountains and prayed, Jesus would come to her. Oh, so she ran up to the mountains and she cried out, Jesus, are you here? Jesus, are you here? But no answer. And she thought, where is this Jesus? So she went down from the mountain, disappointed. And then another thought came to her. Maybe Jesus is not in the mountains. Maybe Jesus is in the fields. Mongolia has a lot of fields. And so she runs up and down the field saying, Jesus, are you here? Jesus, are you here? Still no answer. Where is this Jesus? So she walked home that day very, very disappointed, discouraged. And she prayed really quickly, Jesus, if you're real and you want me to enter your kingdom, please send someone to explain your words to me. She looked up at Inkbotter and said, Inkbotter, you are the answer to my prayers. Will you explain Jesus' words to me? And so Inkbotter spent the rest of the day explaining the gospel, and she accepted Jesus into her life that day. God is good, amen? But how can they hear without someone preaching? There are millions like Inkbotter's friend around the world, in countrysides and in our cities, walking on college campuses and walking on State Street. Millions crying out, Jesus, are you here? Who is this Jesus? God has blessed us to be a blessing to the nations. Are we as the church blessed with resources and talents, blessing the nations? Why is it so challenging in our culture? Why is it so challenging? I think the number one reason in our context is that our culture teaches us that blessing the world is only for the select few. For the rest of us, our culture teaches us that we can do everything we can to bless ourselves. To embrace comfort and not suffering. Our families didn't say to us growing up probably, what I really want for you is to suffer for the nations, right? If your parents are like mine, they taught me that my top goal in life should be to work hard to attain a comfortable life, not a suffering life. Growing up, I was taught to attain a top Harvard diploma in order to attain top jobs at top law firms in order to attain a white pick events home with 2.5 cars and 2.5 kids, and then so that I could embrace the comfortable life. And I was doing pretty well in this track, attained top honors 
at my university, attained some top jobs, uh, was on an ESPN television special with friends, fame, and followers. I chased that comfortable life until one day when it was finally within reach, I felt purposeless, empty. That day, God challenged me with Genesis 12. I have a mission for you, Tom, and I always have. I began to realize that all the blessings that I had obtained in my life, all the accolades and honors, all my education and experiences were for a grander purpose, to bless the nations. But in Mongolia, there was nothing comfortable about it about learning a new language and culture, about having second graders come up to us every day and just make fun of us. There was nothing comfortable about utterly, being utterly lonely. Uh, my wife Nancy and I would sometimes just turn to each other and we'd say, honey, we have no friends. There was nothing comfortable about dying to my own family as my parents did not support my commitment to missions. I loved my parents, loved them dearly, but when I first responded to God's call in my 20s, mom and dad argued profusely with me for days and days and days. And finally, at the end of all the arguing, they got down on their knees with their palms open and they said, Tom, our lives are in the palm of your hands. Please don't crush us. And then mom effectively ended all the arguing when she said, Tom, if you do this, if you do this missions thing, I will kill myself. They went into a deep depression. They cut off communication with me for many years. I had, my phone calls were unanswered. My letters were unreturned. Seven years later, my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and we still had not reconciled. I remember crying out to God, God, I'm blessing the nations like you asked. Why can't you make it easier? Why can't you make it more comfortable? Certainly in this passage for Abraham, it wasn't comfortable. Let's look back at Genesis chapter 12. What does he leave? He leaves his homeland. He leaves comfortable living. I mean, he had actually the good life in Haran. He was rich. In verse 5, the scripture says people they had acquired. It meant that he had servants. He was 75 years old. If anyone had an excuse not to go, it's Abraham. But in verse 4, Abraham goes to his Mongolia. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. Verse 4. Verse 4, though simple, really is the hinge verse in this entire passage. Abraham's story hinges on the two words here, Abram left. Or in the Hebrew, it would be Vayelech Abram. Uh, biblical scholars agree that Vayelech Abram isn't just the key to Abraham's story, not just this passage, but also the story of the whole Old Testament. Biblical scholar Chris Wright concludes this. He says, bluntly put, if Abraham had not gotten up and left for Canaan, the story would have ended right there. The Bible would be a very thin book indeed. Vayelich Abram. Not because it was the comfortable thing to do, but because God asked him to get up and go. 
It's important to note, though, that even though Abraham went, even though he says yes to trusting God, it's still not comfortable for him. If we actually count in Genesis chapters 12 and 13, Abram moves and resides in at least eight different places. Chapter 12, verse 6, the land they're supposed to go to, Canaan, turns out to be occupied. To make matters worse, the Canaanites are pagans. It's a place where they turn women into temple prostitutes and sacrifice children to pagan gods. In verse 10, there's a great famine. If you remember the story, Abraham finds himself starving to death. On top of all that, he has to give up his wife Sarah to Pharaoh and pretend to be Sarah's brother in order to survive. It's not easy. Blessing the nations is not comfortable. God doesn't give comfortable callings to Abraham or to us. Where is your Mongolia? that place or people group where God may be leading you to get up and go that requires leaving comfort. See, an interesting thing happens here when we leave comfort and bless the nations. We see God's faithfulness. We see God's faithfulness. We see this in Genesis 13, which I think is the climax to Abraham's adventure here. Let's look at Genesis 13 briefly. In verse 1, God is faithful in Abraham's marriage. The scripture says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham's able to leave Egypt unscathed, and he gets his wife Sarah back. They're reunited. Verse 2, God is faithful in caring for their physical needs. Their physical needs. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. His physical needs are taken care of. God's faithful, verse 16, faithful in legacy, miraculously giving generations of children. God says, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, lots and lots of children. When we bless the nations, God is faithful. In all my difficult years of going and blessing the nations, I've seen God's faithfulness time and time again. Faithful in ministry. We got to see miracle after miracle in Madison and in Mongolia. This is a photo of the indigenously-led movement in Mongolia now that's in place called the Mongolian Fellowship of Christian Students. We saw over 500 students come to faith for the first time in the first few years there. And it's now uh, led by a Mongolian national. The photo on the right is a Mongolian couple. Uh, Shagai and Aruna, who now lead the movement there. And the photo on the left is um, other leaders, indigenous leaders who have been raised up and now work for the movement. So we praise God for that. We've seen God faithful in every physical need that we've ever had. Always had food, shelter, and clothing. Faithful in blessing my marriage and my children. Faithful in blessing my parents as well. Two months before my mom passed away, mom invited me back home. She said, you can come visit. She was in hospice at the time. So I'll never forget one night she signaled for me to come over next to her on the sofa and I sat down next to her and she held my hand. And with tears streaming down her cheeks, I said, Tom, there's something I've been wanting to say to you for a long, long time now. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. 
all these years, I should have supported you. Will you forgive me? Those words are words that I've been yearning to hear for well over seven years, a decade from my mom. And she gave us those words before she passed away. We reconciled. God is good, amen? God has blessed us to be a, f- a blessing to the nations. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I want to conclude with three practical next steps for us blessing the nations now. What are three things we can do now? Now, first is, now I know some of you may be called long-term. Some of you, maybe God will tug on your heart as a career. Get up and go. And you're supporting many missionaries who have made that choice. But for many of us, the first step is to go and get a taste short-term. One or two weeks, one or two months. All of us can invest a short time in seeing God's heart for the nations. There are lots and lots of short-term opportunities to reach unreached people groups, to help with things going on in the persecuted church like we prayed this morning, whether it's in the Middle East or Central Asia or other parts of the world, that can match your professional skills, that can match your college major and your interests. You can use your business skills to help create jobs for women being marginalized around the world or abused in much of the world. You can use your teaching skills to educate them, to lift them out of the suffering they're in. As a missionary family with kids, we love people who came to Mongolia simply, short term, simply to just babysit. (laughs) People who would come to say, hey, can we babysit for you? We would do, yes, for sure. What a gift. Those of you who are students here in in this uh, sanctuary, you probably have like eight weeks of vacation at least every summer, right? Those of you who are working folks, you probably have two to four to six weeks of vacation you could take in the summers. What I often encourage people to do is take a vacation that will bless the nations instead of going somewhere boring like Hawaii, you know? (laughs) Go and get a taste short term. The second step for us is to read sacrificially and give sacrificially. All of us can do this. Read and be informed. Sacrifice a few extra minutes daily to learn about world issues, what's going on in the world. You can use online resources like Operation World. It's a book as well, but you can go to operationworld.org to research the plight of the church in every country around the world. Research Bibleist people groups. And then after reading, bless the nations by giving sacrificially to Bible translation efforts to ministries that are serving the refugee crisis or the persecuted church. Give sacrificially to your high point missionaries or your friends going on short-term mission programs. As you go home today, I want to encourage you. Ask yourselves, how can I read sacrificially? How can I give sacrificially to bless the nations? Third and lastly, go local and bless the nations that are arriving at your doorstep. Pastor J.D. Payne writes, something is missionally malignant if we make sacrifices to travel the world to reach people but are unwilling to cross the street. You can bless the nations every day here in Madison by touching someone's life with God's love. Consider local volunteer opportunities, ministry opportunities that High Point's already connected to. I just heard about this Days for Girls ministry. You can sow and bless the world. 
I know InterVarsity would love to have volunteers serving at UW or in our national office. Our national office is just down the street on Toke and Whitney Way. You could volunteer to prayer walk on a campus. Join us on any campus in the locality. Drive there. We have a prayer platform online now at everycampus.com. If you go to everycampus.com, you'll see prayer resources, a prayer guide that will help you prayer walk on any local campus. Go local and form friendships with international students who are coming to the States in huge numbers. The number one sending country today is China, and among the fastest growing is Saudi Arabia. Number four is Saudi Arabia. Do something about injustice and ethnic conflict abroad, but also do something about injustice and racism here in Madison every day. Go local and stand in solidarity with ethnic communities here that are hurting and begin the hard work of reconciliation in our own backyard. Finally, go local and pray for the nations. Pray. Get a group of friends together and start a bless the nations prayer time. I like to call it just a bless the nations prayer time. That's it. Pray daily for the majority world church and places where there is no church. Go local. I believe God has blessed High Point Church tremendously. Will you say yes to going to your Mongolia? Will you say yes to blessing the nations? Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures and your call in our lives, the purpose that you've given us in generations of your people to go and bless the nations. Lord, we thank you, Lord, and we want to respond today. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to us about ways we can continue to see your heart for the nations, whether it's a short-term opportunity, whether it's an opportunity here in Madison to go locally and do something about it. Lord, we pray that you help us to look at our own lives, the skills you've given us to us, the resources, the education, Lord, help us to use all of those things. Steward the gifts and resources you've given us to bless the nations, Lord. I pray that you would make, us clear, make that clear to us today as we leave this place, help us to reflect how might we be a part of what you're doing around the world? How might we be a part of blessing the nations? We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.